The sponsor of this episode of The Limbaugh is... No, but could you imagine episode six coming out the gate with a sponsor? Oh, my God. That would uh, be we're available, though. We're available. Call us. Um, what uh, what this... are we all drinking right now? I'm drinking a, a Truly Lemon Tea Hard Seltzer. So uh, Truly Lemon Hit Tea, if you're, if yeah. you're wondering. I, I'll be kombucha girl for a kombucha company if they need me to be. Like, whatever you, whatever you need me to sell. We'll do it. I think that we should start a company called Kombucha Girl. rushing. It's the Limbaugh Podcast Show. With Brian, Christine, Clay, you know. And guests who drop on by. Oh. is the Limbaugh, a podcast about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, those who have received it, those who deserve it, and a few who do not. I am Brian Tuft. I'm Christine Sear. And I'm Clay Russell. So, guys, since we recorded our last episode, things have not been great uh, in Joe Biden's Mm. America, I gotta say. Mm. Just an American general. Our Vax Girl Summer is just not going great. The vibes are off. (laughs) I, I think I I took my mask off for a total of maybe three weeks. Is that how long it lasted? Yeah. Well, for me, <sighs> the mask the mask era returned when that day when I got off the subway and I wanted to take my mask off, but the sky was on fire, so I kept it on because I was like, "Well, I don't want to inhale smoke from the entire nation being on fire." So you know, it's just yeah. Little do we know that Donald Rumsfeld's death was going to be the highlight of the summer. And what a timely right. death it w- turned out to be, eh, guys? Eh? Honestly, I'm glad that he died before he would have had to witness us leaving Afghanistan. Because I know causing wars in the Middle East was his true passion project. And the idea that one of them ended, I think mm-hmm. if he hadn't already died, this would have killed him. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I did see that George W. Bush released a statement today that was like, yo, that sucks. So what's great is I did see a meme, and I, truly, when I saw it, it says, I do not know who made this. Please at me if you have. And the person did not come forward. But it was a picture of George Please W. Bush. like kombucha girl. At his easel. And he was painting that meme of Spider-Man pointing at the other two Spider-Men. And it's like, <laughs> one of them was listed as Biden, one of them was listed as Trump, and the third one was listed as Obama. And I was like, that is so accurate. And it was just George Ugh. W. Bush, like, wistfully painting away like you know bob ross some people yeah (laughs) i mean i think there's enough people that intellectually know it was his fault but it's just like he's been out of the zeitgeist so long like he pops up every couple years to like share a candy with michelle obama and then he goes back to his easel and like so no one's like not a lot of people are like spending a lot of energy being pissed at George W. Bush anymore. So it's like, I think Mm -hmm. we're just rusty. Like we forget how to do it. No, it's, it's, uh, like as, as we're all getting older, like just talking to a Gen Z person and about ready to say something that is a cultural reference and you're, and you have to stop yourself and go, Oh, they're not going to understand that. It's the same thing with George W. Bush and his legacy, which is like, oh, I guarantee you most people under the age of 25 don't know who actually started the Afghanistan war. Right. 
Like, we're like, oh, remember when Donald Rumsfeld died a month before Afghanistan fell? Like, there's so many people that right. that's, those two things aren't yeah. connected. I, I don't want to get, like, too into the weeds here with this discussion, but we are a political podcast technically still. Uh, which is, I think, like, no matter what date we would have announced that we were pulling out, I think that the Taliban were coming no matter what, and they would have taken Afghanistan back this week any any time. Because, like, look, whenever, easy. like, it was too easy, and, like, there was no actual fighting. Like, all of those people laid down their weapons. And so, you know, if we would have announced it in May when Trump announced it or uh, September when Biden did, I think no matter what, the week of August 15th, they were they were taken over no matter what. So, I mean, it sucks still. A lot of people are going to I mean, I know a lot of people died already, but it's like (laughs) more people are going to die, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I just uh, and I know that that people are saying that Biden is treating the Afghanistan army as a scapegoat. And I think that there were some people in the the special forces team that they formed that actually did fight. But like the more the majority of that army just didn't give a shit enough to fight. And like whenever, you know, the majority of the country doesn't give a shit like there's only so much you can do. And I think the bigger question is not whether or not the special forces uh, for Afghanistan did enough. I think the bigger question is where did the 80 plus billion dollars that we spent training those forces go that those people were not being paid in most cases? Because I have to be honest, if you handed me an American gun and said, okay, go fight these people, but you're not getting paid, I don't know that I would necessarily do I that, especially when you, for when, parts. when you see right. the oncoming force coming at you and you see the idea like it's already made it this far, this fast, there's no stopping me. Here's my gun, I'm going home. Um, Mm -hmm. before they know that I was with you. And I think that that's like one of the bigger questions that, you know, unfortunately, I don't think will ever be asked over what happened over the last 20 years. But I mean, 80 plus billion dollars, you'd think we would have been able to set up some sort of a a stipend for those people that they were all being paid if we wanted them to defend their country. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? This sucks. And undoubtedly, this is the greatest crisis that the Biden presidency has faced so far. Then again, he fucking did it. Obama didn't have the balls to do it, and Trump didn't have the balls to do it. Like, he did it, and, like, he's going to suffer for the consequences. I mean, even my dad, who um, is a card-carrying Republican, um, is like, it's not Biden's fault, but he's going to get the most of the blame because he's the one holding the bag, you know? Right. It's, I mean, this is a complete repeat of Vietnam with Ford when Saigon fell, like... You know, those images are going to stick with you for a while. And in Saigon, Saigon, it was a picture of uh, the helicopters and people trying to get onto that. In Afghanistan, like in half a century from now, you're going to see the photos of the people running after the U.S. Army plane. There was a guy like that held on to one and it took off and then he fell off. And I think he died. He did. Yeah. So I know Jen Psaki, but I do think the one like silver lining for Biden is going to be that we are three weeks away from the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And I think just as we do every year, we kind of re-examine that day and, you know, what has happened since. And I do think that this ending and this being such a massive moment for us as a nation and as a global community, I think um, coming so soon before we as Americans sit down and kind of rehash this and kind of look at where we how we are in the same position we were 20 years ago and how we ended up here. 
I think may do a little bit of a favor to him and kind of, you know, bring up to the surface that, you know, it was Bush who signed us up. It was Obama who sent 50 plus thousand troops overseas during his presidency. Um, the idea that, you know, Trump tried to have the meeting with the Taliban at Camp David and they canceled at the last minute, which is somehow, I don't know how, routine maintenance, I guess, scrubbed from his presidential <laughs> website. That, that can't be found anywhere, you know. Uh, I don't know who it is. That got yeah, rid of routine it. maintenance, right? No, I think that I think you're absolutely right, Brian. Point, and yeah. uh, you know the those discussions will be had on the 20th anniversary, which is rapidly approaching. I think they're also going to be had uh, in the 20th anniversary next year of the Iraq War, and just like how much that screwed us as well. So, yeah, I think between those two things, uh, I can't remember what month in 2002 the Iraq War started, but it, I think it was before November, and I think that, that voters are going to have that in mind whenever they go to the polls for the midterms. Yeah. Well, right. almost as depressing as the fall of Afghanistan is that neither of my co-hosts have seen or finished White Lotus. So <laughs> as much as I would like to have a conversation about that, we cannot. Um, but what else have you guys been paying attention to other than um, the very dire situation in Afghanistan? Oh, I guess we, it's kind of old news now, but I guess we could talk about now that the Olympics have concluded uh, that that was just a whole big whiff in general. <laughs> Mm. The Olympics are in their flop era, like full stop, <laughs> period. Absolutely. Yeah. It's those Olympics are not going to be remembered for who competed, but who didn't compete, which is a bad True. sign. Yeah. Like the only track and field person that I remember is I, I've already forgotten her name. I think her name is Shikari Richardson. I'm sorry if I get yes. her name wrong, but like she was disqualified for for smoking a joint uh which is kind of silly in the world of track and field i feel like if you do speed maybe that would be worth a talk about uh but she was disqualified and uh obviously Simone Biles as well like uh for various those are the only reasons. two people you can name of about the olympics neither of which uh are notable because they actually won anything in particular well, what it's notable for is, like, they were both failed by the Olympic organization in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, when I say, like, I guess it's hard to pinpoint who to blame, but, like, the fact that Simone Biles was under so much pressure, um, like, it shouldn't all come down to one person like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that there's always the Olympic celebrities um, you know, and I feel like we've missed, we, I don't think the men's team had any swimming celebrities, whereas you had like Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte and the other guy, <laughs> what was his name? Nathan Chen. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know, I guess this is a longer conversation, but it's like, there's, there's the athletic prowess, but then there's also like the star power of the competitors and it, <laughs> The two people from Team USA, I think, who had the most star power, um, like you're saying, Clay, either didn't participate or their participation was cut short. Um, so I think that's not a good sign. <laughs> a lot of the, well, all of the examples you guys have given are all based in the United States. The one male athlete that, like, as the podcast resident gay correspondent that I know everyone was talking about was um, the diver from Great Britain, uh, Tom Daly, finally won his gold medal after I think this is his 
third Olympics, uh, and he finally was able to cinch the gold for Great Britain. And then he kind of went viral Emphasis after. on the word cinch. Ta-da. <laughs> and then after he was done competing, he was kind of had a viral moment because he was crocheting on the sidelines because the other athletes were the only people who could go and watch their counterparts compete. So he would go and he would sit in the stands. And then during the downtime, he actually wound up knitting himself a cardigan that said Team Great Britain with the um, Union Jack and the Mm -hmm. um, Japanese flag on it. And there was like, I would say every day there was like a picture that went that some, one of the news our people would run with, and they were like, well, "He's almost done," or he needed a little cardigan for his for his medal now, and that was like the one kind of thing where I was like, "This is insane to think about," because normally there would be a dozen stories like this, and most of them, obviously, as Americans that we would see would be about American athletes, but there's always that person internationally who breaks through, like that 14 year old Chinese gymnast that year, or Oksana Bayul. Like, there's always that person who. Kind kind of gets the chatter going where we're like, oh my God, holy shit, can you believe that that person was able to do that, even if it comes at the expense of American winning gold? I still like my idea of, instead of like all the corruption and the backhand deals with who gets awarded the host city, I like the idea of them just like finally just picking a site. I hope that it's Athens, Greece, where it all started. And each uh, country that participates in the Olympics uh, contributes X amount of dollars every four years to it to fund the building of the facilities. And it's always everyone gets to fly out to Greece every four years and compete in the Olympics in one single place. I think that would be amazing. I that's a great I haven't really thought about that before, but that's a great idea. Um. To amend my prior, that is a great idea, but to amend my earlier statement, the other person I've heard a lot about, even this week, is, um, I don't know what country they're from, and I don't want to point the finger, um, but there was that one team that beat their dressage horse because they wouldn't jump, and Kaylee Cuoco, uh, star of the Big Bang Theory and the much superior, the flight attendant, um, reached out to them on Twitter and then formally, I believe she sent them mail wherever you send Olympians mail saying, I'll buy that horse, name your price. You will not do that again. And like, to me, that's the, that's the whole note of this Olympics is the idea that it's like a sitcom star is like, stop beating your horse. I want to buy it from you. Like that's the whole mood for this whole Olympics. Cause the whole thing had this like very dis- depressing dystopian, vibe whenever you would see anything from it and it was just empty and you know this idea that when they would interview an athlete after they won they'd be like no one I know is here because they didn't pass the COVID restrictions and it's just like a thing where I'm like it was and I know that this drum has been beaten raw but it was so Hunger Games where it was just like a thing where like they were like my parents are watching from home like you know as they're like in the arena and I was like ooh I really I I don't love this. That Beaten horse is definitely the actual mascot of the 2020 quote unquote Tokyo Olympics. Well, we have an exciting profile for you this week. Uh, Clay is going to uh, tell us about medal recipient Jacob Javits. And Taking it back to New York, baby. Woo! He's known for a great center here in you know the hottest spot in town. Um, and then uh, we will, of course, get into our medals of the week. Um, okay, we'll be right back. 
This week's profile, we are heading into the Ronald Reagan years, a profile of Jacob Javits. Uh, first, I, I would like to talk about Ronald Reagan, who, in my opinion, is the most consequential president in the United States of the second half of the 20th century. Uh, to this statement. day, I think that we are still uh, living with his policies in terms of, uh, of reduced government, uh, incredibly low taxes, yep. and siding toward business as opposed to individual workers. Uh, he, his nickname is The Great Communicator, and who boy, after looking through his list of medal recipients, uh, absolutely had that when you look at his list you see on the surface that he it was always about communicating his policy and his beliefs Mm -hmm. the reason why i'm saying that is you do have a lot of writers and scientists Uh, i think that there are much less scientists involved in the metals now but back then that was a big thing especially coming out of world war ii and the advances that that had but The main thing that you see is reformed Democrats, people who started off liberal and switched to the Republican side. He very consciously. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. He very consciously would give awards to people that started off as Democrats and switched to Republicans because, again, being the great communicator, he wanted to express to the American public, hey, if you started off you know, as an FDR Democrat, totally fine. Come over to this side. I think that that as much as people talk about how consequential Trump was for the United States. I think that Trump missed that point of being an influential president in that Trump was always very hyper partisan to an aggressive point, uh, awarding it to, uh, Jim Jeffries, is that his name? Uh, I can't quite remember his name. And you know what? I'm not actually going to look it up because he's an awful medal recipient. Uh, <laughs> him, Devin Nunez, all of those people who were very hyper-partisan and were kind of foot soldiers for him. Reagan didn't necessarily do that. He would mostly focus on the people who actually changed their mind. And that was a very conscious choice. Even if they didn't necessarily make that much of an impact toward the United States, he would give that award to them just to spotlight that. It was a lot of uh, politicians that did that. And also a lot of people who started off as socialists in other countries that came to embrace uh, that type of Reagan style of capitalism. So, Absolutely. There's just I find his picks to be incredibly fascinating. I think that perhaps out of the entire list in the history of the Medal of Freedom, he has the most interesting picks. I'm sure that they weren't all of his choice, but, uh, you know, his team absolutely thought through these picks. These were not, uh, you know, Trump picking Elvis and uh, and Roger Staubach for his picks. So, yes, uh, we're going to talk about Jacob Javits. I'm sure that uh, for most of our listeners, that name is familiar for the uh, the center that he has named after him, the Convention Hall on the west side of Manhattan. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, who he was. Uh, he was very much a, uh, even though that he is a product of, of World War II America, he is very much what a uh, modern New York Republican would be now, which is 
very much focused on business as opposed to social policies that you think the Republicans are known for now. Uh, very much a liberal stance in terms of what he believed in, uh, but also uh, very much pro-business as well. Uh, Jacob Javits was born May 18th, 1904 on the Lower East Side. The main reason why he uh, chose to side with the Republican Party is that his father uh, was a – basically he served as muscle for Tammany Hall back in the day. Oh. And he saw you know, how, how vicious New York Democrats were in the early 1900s. And was repulsed by that, frankly, repulsed by his father's behavior and Tammany Hall Democrats and that corruption. You got to bring that spirit back, guys. I want, I want cutthroat Democrats. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. Yeah. Good old days. Uh, so yeah, his first. Give me, give me a man like Boss Tweed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to see AOC just start walking around with a baseball bat. You know, oh, I, I, she yes. looks so good in tweed. Uh-huh. She would look incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she's from the Bronx. She could like take up the pinstripe motif, get a baseball bat. It'd be amazing with that little uh, like maroon Telfar bag she's always carrying. Ah, oh, I'm yes. seeing it. I'm seeing it. We're <laughs> manifesting. It Leo season, <laughs> baby. Try it out. <laughs> So Javits, his first main side toward the Republicans is that he backed Theoril LaGuardia, who Ooh. was the mayor of New York from, uh, I believe it was the 20s through the 40s. Uh, I may have Long expanded time. that a little bit past when he was there, but very influential in terms of Republican politics within New York City. Once he graduated from NYU, Javits and his brother uh, started a law firm and then World War II hit and he served in the army. Uh, nothing of note with his service during the war. But uh, after that, he was elected to the House of Representatives in 1946. Notable because he was in the same freshman class as two other youngsters, John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. So pretty, uh, a lot of proximity to like power already in his life. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, he liked to think of himself as a political descendant in terms of New York politics uh, with Teddy Roosevelt in terms that he was a progressive Republican, which I think is a completely unheard of term nowadays, to put it frankly. Uh, Strongly committed to social issues uh, and had a strong belief that the federal government should have a role in the lives of Americans as opposed to uh, the Reagan style of reduced government and completely reducing uh, places like the IRS to an absolute minimum where they are essentially toothless in 2021, uh, was against a lot of segregationist policies, uh, voted against poll taxes, and a later survey uh, ranked Jacob Javits as the most liberal member uh, of the House of Representatives in the 20th century in terms of the Republican Party, which is saying something after 100 years of politics. I hear you. Wow. Yeah. In 1956, he ran for the Senate and defeated former New York Mayor uh, Robert Wagner, who also had Tammany Hall connections, so that was a bit of symbolism for him. And uh, Javits served in the Senate for 24 years. Uh, I thought that uh, I would now... Uh, talk about his personal life for a bit. He, in 1945, married Marion Ann Boris. I would now like to introduce a new segment that I've created for the show that I've not told Brian and Christine about. 
It's the Wikipedia face-off. <laughs> oh, is this going to be a regular thing now? This is going to be a regular thing now where uh, we have uh, the two non-presenting hosts read off of an entry from Wikipedia and we judge who did it best. I thought that, you know, we did this last week with Tennessee Williams. Uh, obviously, I won. Uh, I, I really laid into the Southern accent because I am a native Texan. <laughs> I thought that Jacob Javits is a great way to start now because we have two native people from Queens. Uh, I'd like them to to read this paragraph that I have pulled up in Google Documents, and uh, I'd like I think that uh, myself and the listeners will judge who did it best. So whoever would like to start first, the floor is yours. I am pulling up my documents now. So I'll start. Uh, yes, that would be for that would be the best. Okay. Upon taking office, Javits resumed his role as the most outspoken Republican liberal in Congress. For the next twenty-four years, the Senate was Javits' home. His wife had no interest in living in Washington D.C., which she considered a boring backwater. For over two decades, Javits commuted between New York and Washington nearly every week to visit his other family and conduct local political business. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Tuff is the winner of the Wikipedia face-off. Shit is rigged. Well, as the flashy girl from Flushing, I saw it coming and I knew I had style, I had flair, I was there. I was so good. the winner. So good. <laughs> So, Brian, you did a fantastic job. I'd like to continue with uh, Jacob Javits' wife. While he was in Washington, I uh, found a uh, saucy bit of info based on my research. Uh, Jacob Javits' wife decided to hook up with someone uh, while Jacob Javits was serving as senator in Washington. She decided to have an affair with a man who was 39 years younger than her husband. That's a hot girl summer. <laughs> That's right. And that man was Geraldo Rivera. No. No. <laughs> yep. Nope. I'm Googling Geraldo this right Rivera now. We're getting a live was banging Jacob Javits' wife. What was he, 10? Oh, no. He's Riding older than I thought. Up on Geraldo. O.M. Gosh, no, he was born in 1943. So if we're talking, what, 60s at this point, Clay? Uh, 50s. Yeah, she was so just so was into that mustache. Teenager? She was, oh mm. my God, oh my God. She was 20 years older than him, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Let me look at the personal life. Personal life, personal life. He's been married five times. Like, as someone who's obsessed with talk shows, I like, I know so much about him, and I like, I still see him now from time to time on Fox News. I'll never forget that famous Newsweek cover of him with the black eye after the fight broke out on the show. Oh my God. But this, I had no idea this was coming. How did we all sleep on this? <laughs> the only way it could have been more shocking is if you had told me that she had an affair with Jenny Jones. Yeah. I was waiting for <laughs> to be a woman with Montel Williams. She was she had a lurid sexual affair with Sally Jesse Raphael. Like that's the only way that this story could be better. Ricky Lake. <laughs> she was too I young. Mean, she I, has I, like I, a... You know I was Ricky Hive. <laughs> oh my god, she had an affair with the talk show host Geraldo Rivera. What the mother I can't so okay, 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 okay. She was however Christine is in pure shock right now. I'm I have so much like 
She was younger than Jacob, though. So yes, still that's a solid twenty-five year age difference between her and Geraldo. Yep. My God. Okay. I mean, yeah. you could probably edit out some of my screaming, but that is wow. Yeah, keep it in. Mm-hmm. I say keep it in. <laughs> we definitely need to like tweet about this. By the way, I think the world needs to know. Yeah. Just when you thought so, every, uh, you knew every shocking thing Geraldo Rivero had done. <laughs> <laughs> so back to a decent Republican. A uh, cuckolded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Javits continued his liberal-sided policies when he did take the Senate. Uh, he opposed the Labor Management Relations Act, which was basically a weakening of the labor unions. Another thing that, that Ronald Reagan worked very hard to, to continue weakening, uh, again, affecting the United States to this day in 2021, uh, supported a lot of Lyndon Johnson's uh, Great Society programs. Uh, he supported the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Uh, he even, when Barry Goldwater was nominated the Republican's choice for president in 1964, Barry Goldwater was uh, definitely a precursor to Trump and being a hard right candidate. He came out even as a Republican and said, I oppose this choice and did not vote for Goldwater. Um, yeah, he, the, the one thing that he did side with, and I think this was, was just because they were buddies of the class in 1964 that he did back, uh, Richard Nixon all the way to the end. Uh, so that was the, the one thing that, uh, that he did stick with in terms of his Republican bona fides. Uh, so, yeah, after 24 years, uh, he sadly was diagnosed in 1979 with Lou Gehrig's disease. With his diagnosis, he uh, still wanted to remain senator, but in the 1980s primary, uh, he was defeated by Al D'Amato. Uh, D'Amato ran a, uh, as a hard right candidate, uh, and frankly, Jacob Javits in that uh, era of bipartisanship just was no longer fashionable in the United States, again, as a result of that Reagan revolution of, of highly partisan uh, type of politics in the United States. Uh, Javits died in 1986 in Florida, uh, and a couple of months later, he had the uh, convention center named in his name. A uh, little fun fact, bringing the Jacob Javits Convention Center to today, uh, they did set the record in the United States for the most amount of vaccinations in a single day when they had the 24-hour center going on there. They gave 14,000 people uh, the COVID vaccine in a single day. So Brian got his there, didn't you? Yep, it's where I got mine. I still have my little sticker that says, I got vaccinated at the Jacob Javits Center. <gasps> Very nice. So, yes, Jacob Javits, class of, of 1983. I was not I, expecting this to be so salacious. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I did work very hard trying to find a Taylor Swift reference, and I failed. I feel like I failed the podcast, our listeners, and uh, especially Brian and Christine, so I just wanted to apologize well, no, to um, both of you. She has a song called Illicit Affairs, so I feel like that actually should have been very hmm. easy for you. We're tying it right okay. in. There you go. We love you, you Taylor. Go. Call us. So who would Jacob Javits be yeah. today? Uh, I don't even think that he would necessarily be a Joe Manchin. I feel like Joe Manchin kind Wishes of craves that role <laughs> of, of, you know, calling the shots and doing things like that. 
Javits never really gave a shit about that. Uh, he just kind of did what he thought was best for his constituents. And again, I do wonder if he would be a Republican at that time if it wasn't for that influence of his early days viewing Tammany Hall and that style of politics. Yeah. Uh, I think he may be a more partisan John McCain, perhaps, is how you would you would place him. Do you guys have any ideas? That was my answer. (laughs) I was going to say that John McCain kind of skated by the like, like, like last 18 months of his life to become like, you know, I know he was always like, I'm a maverick. But I think, like, his legacy was was really shaped by the thumbs down. And I think, like, now he's kind of thought of as, like, this, like, liberal Democrat. It's this, like, you know, last light uh, in the very darkness of what has become, like, the Trump Republicanism movement. Um, And I think that while Javits did a lot of good, like, I think, you know, it is one of those things where, like, the idea that he was like, oh, I'm a Republican because Democrats are corrupt – like is a dual bladed sword. Like you're doing good things, but you're also doing bad things for Democrats by calling them corrupt and talking about yeah, the corruption and that like, you've seen firsthand. Democrats are corrupt, but you'll stand by Richard Nixon. Like explain that one, Jacob. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if they would have gotten his thoughts before he died in the eighties, what his thoughts were, were on Democrats then as opposed to the nineteen twenties and his formative years. Also, Clay, in your research, did you see anything about, um, like, was were there a lot of Jewish men in high positions in government and in power during that era? I feel like that he was probably very, um, that's pretty that's early a good on. Question. For, yeah. yeah. I do wonder that because you do see Al Smith, who was governor of New York during the Great Depression and all that, uh, who was also from the Lower East Side. But you're right. There aren't a lot of Jewish politicians coming out of New York in the uh, early in that half era. of the yeah, right. And definitely no Republican Jewish candidates as well. So in that way, he was maybe he was a maverick. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the only other person I would mention is Mitt Romney. But it's like I think with both Romney and McCain, it's like they're not truly bipartisan. It's just like they have limits. Right. And in Mm -hmm. both cases, when they hit that particular limit, um, I know in John McCain's case, he's Catholic and Mitt Romney is um, Mormon. They seem to have this like higher morality that they're um, that is important in their lives and that if if, you know, politics sort of goes up against that, they will like vote their I hate that phrase, but like vote their conscience. I think that the the talk about Romney is definitely an effect of how hard right the Republican Party is now. Like he didn't move because that much, but they did. I will yeah. I will never forget during the 2008 campaign whenever he shouted over protesters, businesses are people to my friend, because he thought that businesses should have the same <laughs> civil rights as as people should. Which yeah. is an utterly ridiculous remark to make, but was is very indicative of Ronald Reagan's influence. Mm. How business should, should have as much power as workers should, and you're seeing the effects to this day with this level of inequality in the in the United States. I do want to make sure I put on the record that Jacob Javits is a better American than John McCain is because Jacob Javits didn't give us an annoying daughter who's a co-host on The View. Uh, you're there right. You I don't know any of his kids that he had with his wife who didn't love him. And let's keep it that way. 
I've never seen a compilation of Megan Javits or whatever her name is being like, my father, 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 John McCain. Brian, what are your thoughts on Geraldo Rivera, though, as a talk show expert? What are your thoughts on on Geraldo? Yeah, you were name dropping some uh, some deep cuts there. He mm-hmm. is just trash, like all around. And I still see him. Good on trash or bad trash? Bad. Like just the dregs of society. Like it's not like, camp. No, like not like in a fun way, like, um, you know, like Jenny Jones, like where she like she didn't get that guy killed because he came out and said that he had a crush on a straight man. That straight man murdered that gay guy. Like that's that's trash. I'll defend. Geraldo Rivera was beyond. And I think that I feel especially bolstered in that because I like saw him during the beginning of the uh, covid pandemic, like in February or March of 2020 on TV being like, if you can take three deep breaths after walking up a flight of stairs, you don't have COVID. And I remember like him saying that and me being like, that's so stupid. And then like hearing it from people I actually like and respect. And they were like, oh yeah, I heard this thing or I read it. And I was like, how did he disseminate this information all the way to you? You know, if my conservative family members who watch Fox News said it to me, I would be like, naturally, of course you heard him say that. But like when, you know one of the people you're volunteering with uh, in your, you know, Democrats for New York, no year off uh, election drive says something like, oh, yeah, if you're able to breathe after you go up a flight of stairs, you're safe. I was like, OK, Geraldo Rivero is the linchpin of like the right media disinformation bubble. So, no, we don't fuck with Geraldo Rivero. <laughs> there we go. Give me Montel Williams. You heard it here first. Give me Sally Jesse. Give me Ricky Lake, but not not Geraldo. Absolutely not. All right. Well, I don't know. I can't think of anyone. Isn't it like sad that it's so hard to think of like absolutely people who reach across the aisle? (laughs) I again, I think that I think that he obviously today would be a Democrat. But I'm sure he saw some pretty traumatic shit growing up in Tommany Hall, New York. Yeah. Do we think maybe he'd be like a Lisa Murkowski? Because I feel like she is a true independent. And I think when she runs, I don't know if it's 22 or 24, she will actually run as an independent. And, Mm. you know, we have seen her kind of reach across the aisle. But um, like there's a little bit of like color on her character. I do think the idea that Mitch McConnell did primary her and run somebody against her and she won as a write-in is really what kind of gave her this space to kind of be like, no, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Like I have a, I'm going to, I'm going to make statements. I'm going to vote for healthcare. I'm going to say that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm present for a Supreme court justice seating because I don't want to, you know, take a stand one way or the other. And I think that she's kind of viewed as an independent, but, it is also a thing where like the party has just moved so much that it's easy to kind of like look at these like three people who have not moved as fast as they have and say, Oh, well they're independents, they're mavericks. They're one of a kind. Whereas I feel like while Jacob Javits was extraordinary in what he had done, he was probably like one of several people that was in the Republican party and voted for those measures. And also you see how when Nixon was obviously guilty in the Watergate trials that eventually the Republicans were like, okay, we can't stand with this guy anymore, where you saw none of that in the Trump years. Wait, you think he was guilty? (laughs) (laughs) Where were the tapes, Brian? Where were the tapes? (laughs) Where would they be? 
So that's our profile on 1983 medal recipient Jacob Javits. When we come back, the medals of the week. medals of the week um so this is just who in the last week has just you know caught our notice caught our eye uh and that we would give a medal to if we were uh if we had that power um so really we've given ourselves that power and brian what would you like to do with that power i would like to use my power as president uh to bestow a i mean it's timely because this week was the finale of White Lotus, but <laughs> it is truly a career award for Connie Britton. Um, mm. I think that Underrated she actress. Gorgeous. is incredible in White Lotus, which just finished uh, this week on HBO and HBO Max. Um, I cannot get into plot specifics because, as I said, my co-hosts have not watched it yet, which is heaping shame upon me. But um, I think uh, before her great work in White Lotus, where she's kind of played this woman who's, like, very defensive of white men as, like, a woman who's married to one and is raising one, um, and she kind of is on the wrong side of history in my eyes, um, I think this coming off of, you know, less than a year ago giving us her incredible performance in Promising Young Woman and then also her incredible television performances in uh, Friday Night Lights... Uh, American Horror Story, and even, I mean, obviously, I know it became kind of went off the rails, but uh, Nashville, where she, you know, obviously was acting and then singing, I Mm. just think that uh, she has kind of um, shown us that there's really, like, no role that she can't blow out of the water, Uh, even something as kind of um, soapy and disposable as Nashville, she's able to bring such a gravitas to, and then, like, things like this Mike White uh, written character study in White Lotus, uh, which is all about class and um, how it affects our lives. Uh, you know, she's just, there's nothing, she, it doesn't matter how high the material is, she's always able to elevate it and she always comes prepared. And, you know, that's why if I were president number 46, I'd be putting a medal around the neck of Connie, the main event, Britain. <laughs> Have you guys seen Bombshell? When she plays Roger Ailes' wife. Oh, yeah. She's incredible in that. Incredible in that. She's she's great. And I will say, I have seen the first couple episodes of White Lotus. And it's like an ensemble piece with a lot of pretty big characters in it. And the fact that she stands out, I think, really says something, too. Because it's like, sometimes it's over the top. Sometimes it's very emotional. Sometimes it's hilarious. And it's like... Sometimes, like, the way she puts lotion on her hands feels like... And um, the thing is, like, the show opens with a coffin, and it's, like, a mystery of, like, you have to find out who it is. And I believe it's the second episode where um, one of the other characters approaches her and says, I'm a journalist, and I've written a story about you. And she finds out what the story is. And before that, they had been having this very pleasant conversation. She had been fostering this woman and being, like you know, women supporting women. I'm all in, you know, like, let me know if you need any advice. I'm happy to help. And then the woman tells her, like, I wrote this story. And she goes, like, her whole demeanor changes. Like, she's not speaking. It's just all in her face, all in her body language. And then she goes, that was a total 
hatchet job. And when she says that, you're like, well, it's her. This woman clearly dies. She's dead because Connie Britton killed her with her words. And clearly <laughs> she, she is shame. the woman in the coffin. Like, it's, you yeah. cannot come back from Connie Britton speaking to you like that. No. If Connie Britton looked at me like that, I would simply, I would turn to dust. <laughs> I would have blown into the ocean. I, there are no arguments. We're all in agreement. Clay looks like, he, oh, and even your dog agrees. Mm. I mean, Finnegan is a big Connie Britton fan. Oh, that's so I bet. great. <laughs> Finnegan has class. Um, Clay, who caught your eye this week? Well, I think the pressure is actually on you, Christine, because my medal of the week also goes to a Connie. Her name is Connie Zastupul, also known as Quentin Tarantino's mother. Okay, I'm listening. We all enjoy our petty grievances. And a story came out this week that uh, Connie Zastopol, uh, when her son Quentin was 12 years old, said, maybe you should spend a bit more time on your schoolwork than writing shitty screenplays. And 12-year-old Quentin Tarantino vowed to never give his mother a cent of his money, which to this day he has not. That, ladies and gentlemen... Is petty. Is petty. (laughs) That's petty enough to make me forget about Hateful Eight. (laughs) (laughs) That is his worst movie, yes. I didn't even see it, so... I love how just... Anyone who decides to make major life decisions at the age of 12 uh, deserves a medal of the week. And That's sticks just... to them? Yeah. Also, like, I feel like every creative person has an anecdote about an adult telling them to, like, do this responsible thing and not follow their passion. And I feel like a lot of them look back on it with, like, almost, like, pride. Like, yeah, but then I showed them and, like, I'm glad that they did that because it lit a fire under me. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's like, fuck my mom. She could die homeless. Quentin Tarantino about this said, quote, when I become a successful writer, you will never see one penny of my success. There will be no house for you. There's no vacation for you. No Elvis Cadillac for mommy. You get nothing because you said that, unquote. So he went full like Willy Wonka at the end of um, Charlie and the Chocolate yes. Factory. You get yes, nothing. Yes. So I am petty, so I love that. But <laughs> I, my in middle school, my obsession was that I was going to be on TV and that I wanted to host my own talk show. And I vividly remember we had a teacher who left um, and she came back for graduation because we were her last class that she had taught. And she told the person standing next to me, who I did not think was funny, that he should be on television. And many, many, many moons ago, I was on an episode of Oprah. And when I finished, it wasn't a thing where I was like, I was on TV with Oprah or that went really well. I just thought, fuck you, Miss Heary. (laughs) Fuck you. And (laughs) I totally support Quentin Tarantino in this endeavor. (laughs) Wow. If you're a teacher, people remember your name because you're a great teacher or they remember it because you really hurt their feelings and Mm -hmm. that woman is in the latter category. Can confirm. Well done. Wow. All right, Christine, who's your Connie? Uh, I'm trying to think very briefly. Just give it to Condoleezza Rice. (laughs) 
I don't know. Did she do anything this week? <laughs> Probably not. Um, she plays the piano. She, yeah, she did do something pretty big this week, Brian. Yes. <laughs> she saw her creation uh, fall into pieces. Damn it. Okay, I'm doing a quick scroll to see if the word Con- the name Connie has anything to do with this person, and it doesn't. Okay. My medal of the week goes to Connie Francis. <laughs> <laughs> Connie Chung. Um, okay. Mine Justice goes- for Connie Chung. Mine goes to Brendan Fraser. <gasps> mm. Because got, of the mummy? I mean... <laughs> I, like because I could Bedazzled? He played seven characters. No one is giving us that level. Oh my god. The sensitive guy crying at the sunset is one of my favorite reaction <laughs> gifts to this day. So that's all. No, he... But the reason that Brendan Fraser is... In, and it's Fraser, guys, not Fraser. There's no I in his last name. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, no, Toss... What is it? Tossed eggs. Salads and, and scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs all Thank over you, your Ryan. face, Clay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so he's back in the zeitgeist for two reasons. One is he's on a TV show, which is in the DC comic universe called Doom Patrol. And because he was just cast in a new film by Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> the Whale, yes. The Whale. And so, and he's got he's got another one too. He's got one more, one more, one more. Oh, TB Killers of the Flower Moon with Scorsese Scorsese. and DiCaprio. Yeah, he went from completely having a dead career to just starring in everything. So, two things that I want to talk about. One is the death of three things. (laughs) One is the death of his career, which he. um, So he was sexually assaulted. He reports that he was sexually assaulted by um, the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association in 2003. Um, that happened. Uh, his mom He died. knew that the Hollywood Foreign Press was worse or was terrible before anyone else. Yeah. Like before mm-hmm. Me Too, before Time's Up, before this thing wow. where we're not broadcasting it this year, Brendan was telling us and we didn't listen. Mm-hmm. No, literally. And then his mom died and he got a divorce. Like he just 2000, like the mid 2000s sucked for everybody for different reasons. Even if it was just because you were wearing like two polo shirts and like a chunky necklace or whatever. Um, He had a really rough time. And so it sort of, it affected his mental health. And then him speaking out against such a powerful person in Hollywood, um, he he thinks affected his um, getting roles. And so... <clears throat> the other two things I want to say is he... So I don't watch Doom Patrol, but my husband watch it watches it, which means I sort of end up, like, passively consuming it. Um, so he plays a character called, like, Robot Man, and, like, literally his face is a robot face. And it's not, like, Wally, where they found a way to, like, give him eyebrows because, like, the little things move. Like, the face doesn't move, but Brandon Fraser, like, gives this character... Like, he's the most compelling character to watch on screen even though his face doesn't move and it's Brendan Fraser doing the body you know it's like him and his voice work um like that's how good like that's sort of how compelling he is in the role the other thing is I guess he was in a doing press for the show and someone uh someone was telling him how much like oh the internet like as a whole seeing him in the show and then hearing he's got some movies in the pipeline like everyone's just happy for him and we're glad to like see him back and you know like back in uh, back in business, and he like got he's so touched by it. He almost started crying because it was it meant so much to him. And I'm just like, 
is he like I swear to God, if we find out that Brendan Fraser like drowns puppies for fun, it's it's gonna destroy me because it generally feels like it's just like this really wholesome like he's just this guy who had some stuff that was Hollywood related and things in his personal life that kind of like got his career off track and he's like back in he's doing an awesome job like everyone's happy for him and I'm just like yeah he seems like he's like a nice guy and like the shitty thing happened to him and like hopefully just like good karma is coming back into his career it seems like it is and I, think I noticed I'll... him. Uh, yeah, I I saw him in Steven Soderbergh's movie No Sudden Move, which came out uh, a couple of months ago, which was his first movie in seven years. And I, he's just unrecognizable in it. He's definitely put on weight, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's in a good place. Uh, I turned to my friend when we were watching, and I was just like, he's unrecognizable, but he's so good in it. It's almost like a a phase two of his career where he's playing more interesting characters as opposed to the swashbuckling action star. I wonder if like during his, uh, I don't want to call it a hiatus, but for lack of a better word, he went from like the hot action star and comedic star as well, but like essentially attractive man. Um, But I think that that is the um, Mandela effect where, like, there is a certain sect of people who, like, remember him being in these dramatic roles in the beginning part of his career, where he was, like, a young actor. And then there's, like, a group of us, like, who are kind of later millennials who remember, like, the Georges of the Jungle and the Bedazzled and the Mummy. Mummy, yeah. And I think that the paychecks kept going up. I imagine, like, you know... The after the second Mummy movie, it was like a thing where he was like, oh, it's $14 million to be in the third Mummy movie or $15 million to be in Looney Tunes back in action. I'll do Looney Tunes back in action. And I think yeah. he cheapened his own brand and like became kind of a a joke. But I do remember there being a thing where people would tell me like, oh, Brendan Fraser gives a great dramatic performance in this movie. And oh, he's so good in... Um, with honors and you know like there were movies where and I think that that is the thing is like he was capable of it and I think like a lot of people like Jake Gyllenhaal with Prince Persia or Prince of Persia like there just comes a point where like they just keep telling you like okay you're big enough to make big movies big movies quote unquote um keep going (laughs) and then like one of those movies bombs and then it's like oh that's your fault it's not the fact that we had the script written by nine different people and it was sewn together Mm -hmm. like a Frankenstein monster and um, I feel like with the like rediscovery, quote unquote, that Gen Z is doing of like 90s and early aughts culture, I feel like one of the things that has been such a big cultural touchstone has been that original Mummy movie and how like incredible it is. Like it's it's fun. It's it, it's a very good I love movie, movie for what it is. Yeah. And I think um, those people are so like by those people, I mean, Gen Z are <laughs> so unquestionably in his corner that mm. I think that it makes a lot of sense that if you're looking to get a young audience cast this man, like he obviously carries a lot of goodwill. Um, whereas like, you know, it I also think brought us Rachel Vice as well. And her skinny eyebrows, her skinny 90s mm-hmm. eyebrows. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rachel Weiss and Black Widow, we were eating. Like, that was so... She was... There wasn't enough. You want... <laughs> a Black Widow, too, needs to focus solely on Rachel Weiss. And she's not even the the titular Black Widow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the titular role. <laughs> Ra- Black Widow, too. Rachel Weiss. That's what I want. <laughs> she was the best part of the favorite, as well. Anyway. 
it's a two-hander between her and Emma Stone, and that's I mean, that on yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing I want to say about Brendan Fraser is you guys probably don't know this because I had sort of exhausted this part of my personality by the time I met you guys, but I was the biggest Scrubs fan. I loved Scrubs, and I will still hear nothing bad about Scrubs. Even if you don't like Zach Braff, it's like that role, he's like perfect in it, and it's such a like heartwarming, wonderful show. And Brendan Fraser had a like a guest role as um, Dr. Cox's best friend. And it's like funny and it ends up being tragic because he has like a chronic illness. And like, yeah, he's made me cry before. So I still love him. I will say he is not a perfect man because he did star in Crash. So some things cannot be overlooked. I'm... We just need to accept that no one is perfect. Our faves are always going to be a little problematic, but Brendan is somebody who I feel that we as a community can get behind. Yeah. All great movie stars have their stinkers. Mm-hmm. Well, we got to end this episode, guys, because I need to go watch Bedazzled. I know. I, like, want to go watch The Mummy now. Maybe we should do, No, like, bitch, a... you have to finish White Lotus. Absolutely not. Oh, you're right, 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 right. Ah. Okay. <laughs> And I have nothing but time, so, you know. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, that's it. We will see you next time. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Limba Podcasts. See you next time. Brendan Fraser, I love you. Call us. <laughs>